Good morning, Whitewater. You guys are awake. Way more awake than the other. By the end of the service, people are sleeping. At, no, I'm just kidding. Um, it's so good to see you. This truly is a place you can belong before you believe. And we believe here that you, uh, no matter what your background is, no matter whether you, whether you believe what I believe um, or not, that God has blessed each and every one of us to become a blessing. And that's what our series is about. That's what uh, this teaching is about. And uh, we're going to be jumping into that. But one of the concepts we've been talking about is just the reality that like the church in that video, you saw all these people, the church is people, it's us, it's you, it's me. And there's so many gifted, amazing people in this church. Um, I, I think of the, the beauty of the church as like an artist who's creating a mosaic. And there's like these pieces that are broken. And that's the thing about people is like every one of us has gifts, skills, and abilities that are unique but we all have broken parts to our life. And God is like this artist who's putting these little shards and pieces of clay and glass together that are our lives. And it doesn't look like much if you're really close, but when you step back, you see the beauty. You see what God is doing. And friends, I think the church is beautiful. Jesus died for the church because he thought it was beautiful and worth dying for. And so welcome to your faith community. Um, Let me pray and we will jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. Would you speak to our hearts? Would you fill us up? Would you send us out of here uh, inspired, uh, seeing with eyes of faith, uh, letting letting us have hearts of love um, and hands of action? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, We've been talking about becoming a personal blessing in our personal lives, our neighborhoods, our friends, our schools, our work. We've also been talking about becoming a local blessing. Uh, Local blessing is meeting needs in our area, in Pierce County, and Puyallup, and Ording, and uh, Bonnie Lake, and Tacoma. The the areas that we all come from, and the areas that we live, how do we become a local blessing as a church, as a united body, that brings blessing to the world? Um, And then lastly, in this series, we're going to be talking about becoming a global blessing, which I'm really excited to. But today is a day where we're going to talk... Uh, uh, really about three things. We're going to be talking about a temple and a river. We're going to be talking about you and about me. And then we're going to be just laying out the beginning. I'm just going to give you just a little sneak peek of of a long-term local blessing plan, a vision that God has been putting on our hearts for a while. And I'm just going to give that to you guys. And then next week, we're going to talk about how and how Jesus shows us how to do this thing. Okay? Does that sound good? So that's what we're going to jump into. I've been um, asking this question, how, does, how do we mobilize the church? How do we release the river that is the church? Uh, how, do we get, how do we become a blessing? And when you think of Christians, when you think of Christianity, um, you can think you know Catholics and Protestants and Methodists and Baptists. You can think all these things. But if you looked at the world, there's between 2.2 and 2.4 billion Christians in the world. What would it look like if the church uh, fully mobilized its people throughout the world to become a blessing? Think about that for a second. The church has 2.4 billion people a part of it. Like, that's hard for me to wrap my mind around completely. But that means that the church as a community, the church as an institution, the church as a gathering has more influence in more towns and more places than any other institution in the world. 
You might have a village that doesn't have a business, doesn't have a post office, but it's got a church. Um, you've, you, you have villages in the, in the middle of Timbuktu. You got, all across the world, there are churches that have access to blessing more people than any other organization in the world. So a question I've been asking is, what would it look like to mobilize every believer to become a blessing? And even every beginner as a blessing. Like, you don't have to believe what I believe to align with what Jesus taught us. If you love blessing people and helping people, you don't have to believe in Jesus yet. Maybe that's just part of your process. But here's the reality. God has made us, he's designed us from when we were in the womb, before we were born, to be a blessing. So how do we release the river? Uh, I have a, a little clip from one of my favorite theologians, Bruce Lee, if you guys would watch this for a second. This is what it is, okay? I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Now you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now water can flow, or it can crash. Be water, my friend. It's a good theological statement right there. Water can flow, it can crash. Be water, my friends. So how do we allow God to release you? Every single person here learning to become a blessing. No matter where you're at. No matter if, you've got, if you're the walking wounded. No matter if everything's perfect in your life and it's like, man, I'm comfortable. How do we release the river? If you turn with me to Ezekiel 47, this is where we're going to be starting. And it, 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 might take, it might not make sense at first because it's a really weird passage. I'm just giving you forewarning. This is a bizarre, weird vision that's given to the prophet Ezekiel in uh, chapter 47 of the book Ezekiel. And we're going to be in verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Your apps, you can turn there. Uh, and we also got it up behind me on the screen. But in this weird, crazy, amazing vision, it's going to lead us to understanding temple and river, and then it's going to get to you and me, okay? So here we go. Uh, verse 1, in my vision, says Ezekiel, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. This angelic figure is leading him in this vision so that he can see a spiritual reality that God wants him to understand. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the gateway. Oh, excuse me, the right of the altar on its south side. The man brought me outside to the wall through the north gateway and led me around the eastern entrance of the temple. And there I could see the water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. And what we see first and foremost here is uh, Ezekiel's being given this vision of a spiritual reality and what God wants to do, will do, is doing. And we see that the river flows from the temple. Immediately we see that there's a temple there. He's walking around it. And there's a, there's a river that flows from that temple. And in John chapter 7, we learn that like the, the, the river represents the spirit of God, the power of God that flows from the temple. Uh, and the temple, uh, what happens in the temple? What happens in the temple of Yahweh, the temple of God? Worship, right? God's presence, uh, God's, the worship of God. It's a, it's a holy place where we, where we worship and love God in, in, in a special way. Now, in verse 3, it says, Measuring as he went, this is the angelic man, 
he took me along uh, the stream for 1,750 feet. Now, that's pretty specific. Some of you guys are a little OCD, and you're like, okay, I'm starting to really like the Bible here. Uh, I like how specific that is. And then it says, and then he led me across the river, the little stream. The water was up to my ankles at that point. In verse 4, he measured another 1,750 feet uh, farther down the river and led me across again. And as they're a little bit farther down the river, it says, this time the water was up to my knees. And after another 1,750 feet, it was up to my waist when he was crossing it. And then he measured another 1,750 feet. This goes on for about 10 minutes, so buckle in. No, I'm just kidding. Um, And then he measured another 1,750 feet, and the river was too deep to walk across. It became so deep. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. The river gets deeper as it goes away from the temple. And the spirit and the flow of the spirit, the power of the spirit actually gets deeper and stronger the farther it moves from the temple. I think that's kind of an, uh, an interesting observation. And, and I, I, when I think about this, I think of just the power of a real river. How many of you guys have ever been in the power of a real river? A few of us, okay. Um, some of you guys are like, that's how my dad taught me how to swim. Um, and I went to Montana, I was about, uh, what was I, I was probably 15, 16 years old, we went over to Montana, and we were at this family camp, and they took us to this river, and they were going to take us through some rapids, and they put us, some people were in rafts, I was put in a canoe, some people had kayaks, I was put in a canoe, do you know how easy it is to tip a canoe? Like, there's no stability. They put me in there. I've never been out in the wilderness like this before. And they're like, you'll be fine. Just make sure you keep the, the tip of the canoe perpendicular to the rapids. I'm like, rapids? They're like, yes, rapids. And if you don't, uh, you'll fall and you could die. And I'm like, what? Like, you have a life vest, but it's still dangerous. So be very careful. And I'm like, oh. So we got in the river and it was very calm and easy and not very deep. And then all of a sudden we hit a few bends in the river and it started getting faster and faster. And the river became more powerful, more deep. And all of a sudden we hit these rapids and I was so out of control uh, I tried to keep it perpendicular I end up hitting the rapids sideways you know what happens when you hit rapids sideways like boom immediately just tipped over all these rafts are going by me kayaks are like hey George going by me and I I hit and the water's cold and I did not realize how powerful that water was until I was in it I mean fully submerged you know I had a little bit more hair back then and I would come out and I'm like (gasps) gasping for air I've got my life vest on but then I'm hitting these rocks and I'm I'm just like well the reality that I could die hits me and and all of a sudden I get caught in an eddy That doesn't mean like I ran into a guy named Eddie. I ran him over. And Eddie is like a whirlpool, a small whirlpool when you're going through a river. And it just pulled me in and I was going around and around. I couldn't get out of it. And I I was starting to fight it. Uh, And the power of this river, the power of that whirlpool, I was exhausted. It felt like I was fighting it for you know, 30 minutes. It probably was only a few minutes I was in it. And then all these people passed me and I was starting to panic. Like that feeling of... Like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. And it was pulling me under. And all of a sudden, finally, I popped out. And you know what I did when I got, you know, like, out of that whirlpool? I immediately swam as fast as I could to get out of that water. And I got up on the rocks. There were these big boulders uh, on either side of the river. And I stood up, and I was like, I'm not getting back in that river. I was kind of mad. And everybody's, like, a mile down. I'm just like, what am I going to do? And then I heard this. (laughs) I looked down. Montana, do you know what that noise is? It's a bad noise. You know what, Colton, what is it? That is a rattlesnake. And this is my friend from Montana. Um, 
You can't vouch that I really saw one, but you can vouch that there are rattlesnakes in Montana. So I look down, this rattlesnake's right there, and uh, what do I do? I immediately jump back into the death river <laughs> away from this. I'm like, and I, I screamed. It was pretty embarrassing. I, I land in the water, I'm like, I'm safe. And then this rattlesnake swims into the Do you know they swim in the water? I was like, that was the noise that came out of me. And I was like trying to back up in the water, but I'm not backing up. And it, and it swam away and I was okay. And then the river just pulled me down. That river was so powerful. And I wanted to be in control. And I had no control. When we look in this passage, it was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. There's a reality that when you start moving with the Spirit of God, you have to let go of control. You have to let go of control. Flow with the river. Don't control the river. And so much of our faith, I think, sometimes in Christians' faith can be put in all these different things. Sometimes over and above their faith in God's provision in their life. And what it looks like to the watching world is these people who are supposed to be made for the river, afraid of the river and trying to control the river and gasping when we just need to flow with it, not control it. Amen? Let's keep moving. Verse 6, he asked me, have you, ever been, have you been watching, son of man? Like, are you paying attention, Ezekiel? Then he led me back along the riverbank, and when I returned, uh, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Like, all of a sudden, this life begins flourishing and growing on either side of the river in this vision. And verse 8, it says, then he said to me, the river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is, is the symbol of death. It's, this, it's uh, the lowest place on earth. How many of you guys know that the Dead Sea is the lowest place on earth? Literally. Uh, below sea level and it's nothing grows there. It's hot and arid and deadly. And the river flows from the temple, isn't it interesting, to the lowest desert, the driest, like deepest darkest place the river flows from the temple to the lowest place and literally to the lowest place on earth and this just reminds me of this reality that when worship goes up when we worship God and we're in the temple and worship him mercy comes down when worship goes up mercy comes down a friend we called motorcycle Mike came to Whitewater and he had all these worries about being here, about his past, about his present and would I be accepted and can God really forgive me and all this stuff. And I remember seeing there's a moment in his, in his walk and in his journey where he just kind of like let go. And all of a sudden he started freely worshiping, not worrying about himself, or what other people would think and just worshiping. And when he started worshiping, the mercy of God just came down into that man's heart like never before. The truth of God's love, the power of God's love, the care of God's love. And, and even seeing the world differently just changed everything about him. When we worship, mercy comes down, and uh, from the highest of heights, God's grace and his spirit comes to the lowest of, and darkest places in our lives. Is this not true? Is this not why we Christians gather to remind ourselves of that truth? And, and, and if that's true, then also the Spirit of God goes from the, the temple and it goes to the driest and darkest places in our world and in our, even in Pierce County. Like God wants to bring the Spirit of life to the desert. That's what we're seeing here. That's God's heart. And it goes on to say the waters of the stream will make the salty, the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. 
And there will be swarms of living things where, where the, wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea. And if you don't know anything about the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea is dead. Like there's nothing that lives in there. It's salts and magnesiums and all these different uh, minerals. And it, it, like there's nothing that can live there because it, the, there's so much chemicals and minerals in the, in, in the water. I, when I was 14, uh, I was a freshman in high school, um, my family went over to Israel and we actually got to go to the Dead Sea and you, you get out and you're actually supposed to swim in it, and kind, it's kind of swimming and we all had kind of like these uh, tourist shorts on and the, you know, like kind of stock bathing suits for everybody and, it, and they were really, really, we had like 70 year olds on the, on the tour with us and my sister and I were really young, we were the youngest and and uh, they had us get in the water, but right before they were like, here's a few instructions, and you got to be safe, you got to do this, you got to do this. And they're like, and the number one thing is you have to stay on your back, you can't flip over. And we're like, can't flip over? Why? They, if you flip over, you die. I was like, this is a little dramatic. So I went up to the tour guide, I was like, die, really? Like, what? And he's like, oh no, if you, if, if you flip, you will die. I'm like, why? And he's like, the magnesium and like all the salts and the, and the uh, minerals in the water are so strong that if you flip over, uh, you, can't, you can't flip back over because you're so buoyant. You can't get yourself back over and your face is in the water and you'll breathe in the chemicals and that'll kill you. It'll, it'll destroy your eyes. It'll destroy your lungs. But it's really, really good for your skin. <laughs> so we went in there and I, mean, I could not believe it was like I was floating on top of water not in water but on top of it it was so buoyant I was just so weird and people were laughing and having fun and I just couldn't believe it and I had all this acne and it was just like ah oh, I felt so good it was just getting rid of it all and then I looked over and there's this like older gentleman 60s 70s and he started kind of doing some fancy swimming and all of a sudden his um, girth rolled him fully over like he was just like and rolled into the water on his face and then he immediately put his head in the up out of the water because you're so buoyant and just screamed help and you know went back in help and his his eyes were completely bloodshot because of the chemicals help and i looked around and i was the closest one to him so i was like i didn't want to get pulled up you know around myself but i grabbed him and i flipped him and uh, once he flipped, he, we were able to pull him with a few other men. And the tour guy came up. He's like, you saved his life. He would have died. I'm like, really? And then I found out that like, he had breathing issues for the next hour because the, the chemicals are so strong. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. But it says, when this river, when the river of God's spirit that comes from the temple flows into the Dead Sea, life will happen. There'll be fish Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. It will go from salt water to fresh water. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. I love that statement. The life will flourish wherever this water flows. What is flourishing? Well, in verse 12, it kind of explains what flourishing is. Verse 12, it says, Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The, uh, the leaves of these trees will never, run, uh, never turn brown and fall. There, there will always be fruit on their branches. There, there will be new, a new crop every month. For they 
are watered by the river flowing from the temple. There's something powerful and ongoing and life-giving that's like eternally life-giving from this river that flows from the temple. And then it says the fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. So what is flourishing? Well, the definition in the, uh, that I looked up said this, um, flourishing is to grow or develop in a healthy or vigorous way, especially as the result of a particularly favorable environment. Flourishing, according to this passage, is dead things transforming into life. It's like these trees grow up, and all of a sudden the desert comes to life, and when there was no life, there's all of a sudden life, where there was salt and and chemical, like all of a sudden it becomes clean and pure, and and the toxicity, the toxins are are withdrawn, and and all of a sudden health comes in. Flourishing is the idea of of food being provided. Food for people is provided through the trees. That's a part of flourishing is provision. And then if you notice, it says that the leaves will be used for healing, and that when when life is flourishing, like. Lives are being healed. Toxins are being removed. Sickness is being overcome with an infection of health. Isn't that amazing? That's the vision that's given of flourishing. Now, to bring this all home, uh, well, let me read this to you. The river transforms a desert into a place of life, into a place of flourishing. But to understand this, to bring this home to you and to me, we've been talking temple and river, let's talk about you and me. It comes together in John chapter 7, you can turn there if you want, it's going to be on the screen behind me, And starting in verse 37, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from the heart of anyone who believes in me. Rivers of living water will flow from the heart of anyone who believes in Jesus. And when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, who would be given to everyone who believed in him, but the Spirit hadn't come yet. So let's do two cultural layers to understand what this means. The first is, at the climax of the festival, what festival is this? The festival it's talking about is the fest, it's called the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Shelters. And this is celebrating, uh, in, in Jewish culture, it's celebrating the time where God was with his people in the desert. You guys remember the story of Israel where they wandered in the desert for 40 years? God was with them in the desert. And so they have this feast reminding themselves, hey, remember when we were in the desert and God's presence was there and God provided for us? It also celebrates the time when God um, used a rock to like they, they, they caused a rock to have water flow from it like a, a thing that has no water and no life all of a sudden has life flowing from it that was what they were celebrating in this festival now this is really I think this is really important because um, the water in Ezekiel in Ezekiel's passage is flowing from what the temple place of God's presence. The tabernacle was God's like mobile temple and then they were moved to the promised land. Everything's great. And then they get to the promised land and they build a temple and that's where God's presence resides. And then all of a sudden now he's seeing this river that's flowing from the temple. In John, Jesus declares that the temple's changed. Where is the temple now? The temple is us. It's you, it's me. And it goes from being a place 
to being a people. God's plan has always been to dwell in and with his, peop- his people. You and I have direct access to the power and love of God. That we become the temple. Our lives become the temple from which the rivers of life flow. The rivers of the spirit flow. Be water, my friends. Yeah? Isn't this a powerful, like this is a powerful statement. And, and we are called to be temples that have water flowing out, reservoirs that have rivers that are released into the world. Now, why do we resist at times following the river? Why do we resist letting God flow through us and through our hearts? Well, I think one of the first things is um, we'd rather stay in the temple than be a temple. We'd rather stay in the temple, the safety, the comfort of worship, of our worshiping community. We'd rather stay here than go out there because it's comfortable, it's safe. And then I think sometimes we like to focus on ourselves, like what I have going is really important. Sometimes I think we're afraid to leave the temple um, and go back to the desert we came from. Notice like the river is flowing out of the temple to the east. The east is a barren desert. It would make way more sense for this... this uh, this flowing river to go out to the Mediterranean Sea and where there's already life. But this goes back into the desert and Jewish people who are reading this are like, that, that's the desert, God. That's, that's the desert you brought us from. There's no life there. We barely survived there. It was terrible. You want us to go back there? No, I'll stay in the temple, please. But when we begin to worship God... And worship goes up, mercy comes down, and we have to follow the Spirit into deserts where maybe we don't want to go. We have to follow God's Spirit into deserts where maybe you and I have come from, and we're like, I don't like that. I've become something different. I don't want to go back there. But God isn't calling you to go back to become what you were. He's calling you to go back to, be, to bring life and spirit and love. Does that make sense? To become a blessing. And sometimes I think we'd rather control the river than flow with the river. And so we resist it. So how do we learn to join the Spirit? Allow the Spirit to flow through us, to become a river. How do we fully immerse ourselves? How do we release the river of our church? Like every person in here, what would it look like if we just said, I don't care what other churches are doing. We are going to go after this vision that God gives us where every believer becomes a blessing. Every beginner becomes a blessing. Every member on mission. What would it look like to be a church like that? How do we release it? And I think one of the keys is this. In Matthew 9, Jesus says this. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. His heart broke for them. Like water began flowing from his heart for the crowds. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What he was seeing and what this is saying is that Jesus saw all these people who were hurting and broken. He saw a desert out there and it was a desert of leadership. The Pharisees and the spiritual leaders of that day were self-serving leaders, not selfless leaders, not servant leaders. And Jesus saw a desert and he was like, somebody has to do something. When was the last time your heart was broken for a great need in the world? When was the last time you saw a desert and was like, man, we got to get a river there. 
and did something about it. See, compassion isn't just feeling bad. It's not just feeling for somebody and being sympathetic. Compassion, by definition, is this. Compassion is seeing a need that moves our heart to wise action. It's seeing a desert that moves the river of the Spirit through our lives to bring a flourishing life to the desert. It's moving from being apathetic to becoming an advocate. My daughter was very apathetic to the Huskies a year or two ago. And then I brought her to a game. And I brought her to another practice. And she saw all the cheerleaders and all these other, you know, gals that were wearing like pink and purple you know, jerseys, and she saw all the purple, she saw all the pageantry, all the cheerleading, all the bands, and let me tell you, when she saw what her father saw, she began to love what her father loved. Compassion is learning to see what God sees so that we'll love who God loves. Are you with me? And it can't just remain a feeling, it can't just remain like, oh, compassion completed is seeing a need that moves our heart to action. We do something. We live something. We love somebody. And love acts. Love does. It it, it moves. And Jesus, his heart, it moves us. Um, And it moves us to wise action. I'll just throw this in and then I'll give you guys a, a, a glimpse of some of the vision that we're headed toward as a church where we feel the spirit of God, the river's moving us. But, but compassion moves us to see a need to, to do wise action. My daughter uh, and I were downstairs, and I was watching the kids, and um, my son is one years old, and he's learned how to crawl like, have you ever seen those like little slides that you can crawl up, and then the kids will slide down? They're really small, they're plastic, you know, they're not very heavy. But he started crawling up this thing, we looked over and we're like, he's crawling up that. This one-year-old crawling up like this mountain. And he gets up and he like wobbles. And I'm like, oh no, we got to, Novella, catch him. She's really close. And she's like, I got it, dad. And she runs to the front of the, <laughs> of the slide. She sees the problem. But the action was not as wise as I wanted to because I was more worried about him tipping back than sliding down the slide. So we, as Christians, we have to learn to have wise action meeting the needs of what we see in the world. Does that make sense? And we'll get more into that as we kind of talk about this vision. But let me lay this out for you guys. What, I, what, I, what we as leaders have been asking, we've been asking this question, and I want you to be asking this, but what are the local deserts in Pierce County? What are the deserts that God sees and he says, man, a river needs to go there. Like my spirit, my love, my grace need to go there. And what would God have us do I've been talking with um, a group of leaders and passionate leaders in our church, and we've been asking that question. And what we've identified um, over a period of time is we've identified eight deserts that we want to bring eight rivers to. Is it okay if I just share those with you? Here's the eight deserts that we feel God is saying to us, I want you to bring a river to. And, And here's the truth. Every one of these deserts I'm reading, we already have people that are doing something in them. God is already at work there. A river is already trickling through that. But we think the clearer we can get, the more compassionate we can get, the more powerful the river can be to these areas, to these deserts. So here we go. The first desert is the desert of spiritual emptiness. There's so many people that don't have peace with God in Pierce County. 
It's one of the least churched um, counties in America. And there's so many people that are broken and hurting. There's spiritual emptiness. That's a desert. The second desert is the desert of illiteracy and lack of access to education. Some people just bat- lack uh, basic knowledge and, and uh, opportunities to learn. And, and, and we want to bring a river to that. The third one is lack of sustainable skill. Um, life skills pay the bills. How many of you guys know that? And there's so many people that don't just have the basic life skills, vocational, occupational life skills that are needed to, um, to have a flourishing life. And we think God wants to have a, a, a flourishing life for everybody. And we want to bring a holistic gospel for the whole person. That's what we feel called to. And so if we were moving down this, number four is we see the desert of poverty and cycles of poverty, cycles of exploitation, cycles of like barriers that have gotten in, in, in between people and, a, and flourishing life. And, 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 they can't, and some people can't do anything about it. Uh, we have some kids, uh, some people that we serve in that area of poverty. And that's, like, that's what we do with our, our foster care. Partnership, and I'll get into that in a second. Number five is environmental destruction. There's so much unnecessary destruction of God's good creation. God created us to be stewards of the creation that he's given us. And we want to be good at being sustainable stewards of that. And we have people in our church that are really passionate about doing, uh, about, and doing that and taking care of that. We want to unleash that river. Number six, isolation, loneliness, and social division. This is one of the biggest areas, for me, one of the biggest areas of passion. I'll share about that next week. But um, I see so many people who are lonely and hurting. My wife, who, who this is her first year not working full-time in, in, in the school district, she's met so many stay-at-home moms that just feel so isolated and lonely. Like, we live in a, the most connected day and age, but the most disconnected at the same time. Everyone's connecting virtually. No one's connecting relationally. And there's so much social division. How many of you guys have seen division and polarization in our world? I mean, you look at politically, socially, religiously, family, just division, division, division. And, and we're called to be people who help in those areas and bring a river of life. Number seven, self-serving leadership. People who are serving their own agendas, stepping on other people to, to push themselves up. That's a huge issue in our area. Um, number eight, sickness and disease. There's addiction, depression, obesity, mental health issues that are just rife in our county. And how can our church help with this? Being, uh, bringing a holistic gospel to the whole person. And, and here's, here's the answer that, here's the rivers we feel like God is calling us to bring to those areas. For spiritual emptiness, flourishing churches. Because flourishing churches are making flourishing disciples who help people reconcile and find peace with God. Number two, illiteracy and lack of access to education. We want to bring literacy and education. We have people in those fields and we have uh, groups. All We have groups. Every single one of our groups is connected to an area of blessing. And we have groups that are already helping in these areas. Uh, the lack of sustainable skill. We want to help with occupational empowerment, training people and getting them connected so that they can have a vocation and have purpose in their life. Uh, poverty. We want to help... Um, uh, with the river of underprivileged assistance. If there's people who are underprivileged, we want to bring assistance to them. That's what our one child Christmas party is, friends. Like, we want to bring life to kids who are, who are impover- impoverished, underprivileged, neglected, and forgotten. 
And we want to bless the families that are a part of that. So we want to be an answer to that. And we're, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. An opportunity today that you can have to be a part of that river of blessing. The next one, environmental destruction, restoring creation. We have, we have a group that restores a park. They're, really, they're passionate about it. I think that's so cool. And they, they bring a river of blessing there. Now, isolation, social division, loneliness. I think inclusion is so important. Becoming a community that includes everybody. You don't have to uh, accept, you don't have to agree with everybody to accept somebody and we can we don't have to agree with anybody you don't have to agree with anybody but we are called to accept people and you might find when you love somebody you find some things in common and we're supposed to be peacemakers where there's division we want to bring peace number seven self-serving leadership we want to create and train and build up servant leaders we want you to be servant leaders we want to train our community to have a vision for servant leadership and then lastly, in sickness, disease, addiction, mental health, all those issues, we want to bring health and wholeness. And there are people in our church, in our groups that are, are doing this in every area. These are the big eight deserts that we want to tackle as a church. Are you guys with me? This isn't just something we're doing this week or this month. This is a long-term vision and strategy, and we'll be unveiling that. But this is a local strategy of blessing. So what I wanted to do now is I, I wanted to give you a, an opportunity to respond and jump in the river. If you're new to Whitewater, you've been coming here for any amount of time, we partner with Olive Crest. It's an organization that helps foster kids. And every year we do this thing called the Christmas party. There's over 800 people that we serve, foster families, kids. Um, some, it's amazing. Some of these kids that come to the Christmas party, it's the first time they've ever opened a gift for Christmas. I mean, it's unbelievable. And we're finding other ways to partner. Uh, We've done date nights and other things like that. We want to serve this community and be a river of blessing. Would you watch this video? You guys stoked? This is one of my favorite times of year. This is an incredible event, but there's so much that goes into it, and it's to be a blessing to these uh, families and these kids. This is my friend, Samantha. She's our children's director, so she runs all the stuff back there. Um, they're pro- the kids are probably fine right now? They're good. Okay. Um, she also organizes uh, the One Child Project. Um, would you just uh, tell us what we need to know to get involved? Yeah, so this year... So you see, last, a couple years ago, that was our theme, and it was a pirates and mermaids under the sea theme. This year, we're doing Incredible Christmas. It's a superhero theme. It's going to be so much fun. Um, so today we have, the, it's our first round of gift tags. They're in the back at the back table. Every single tag represents a real child. So when, we take, when you guys pick a tag, we're going to get your information so we know who, tag, who takes every single tag. Um, We're going to have the gifts be brought back here November 18th and 25th. Make sure the gifts are brought back unwrapped with this tag attached to them so we know who it belongs to. Um, You have information at your seats. Uh, It's got all the information on there about when our party is, um, bringing gifts, our work parties, and our wrapping party. Um, Also, there's a back table back there. is a sign-up sheet. So if you guys want to be a part of this and actually go to the event, sign up to volunteer somewhere. We're going to have, uh, we have game room, sensory room, greeters, teen room, hair salon, outdoors, uh, bouncy houses, uh, food, Santa. Santa will be there. Um, There's like so- a subject like, can we cheer for Santa in the church? <laughs> no, you may not. No. <laughs> 
so this is a really, really fun event. Um, we, we try to stay to around $25 uh, per gift for the kids, just so that one kid's not getting an Xbox and the other one's getting a football. So, um, but yeah, this is, you know, this is something that's really amazing. Uh, the kids love it, and we've talked to a lot of foster parents, and the kids are so excited that as soon as they leave, they're talking about, I can't wait for next year. What are they going to do next year? I'm so excited, so... Yeah. That's awesome. And we have uh, merchandise in the back for Whitewater, and all the proceeds are going to the foster care community. And uh, guys, I'm just so grateful to be part of a church that has a heart for this. Um, you guys are incredible. And if you're new or you've been coming to Whitewater and you haven't been involved in an area of blessing, this is such a great, easy, and transformative opportunity to get involved with. I want to invite you to do that. Grab a tag, get the information, um, and... What, what could God do if we just said we are going to be a church that has a goal? I don't know if it will, we'll get there, but we're going to have a goal to have every believer a blessing, every beginner a blessing to our world. Um, jump in the river. Let God use you. Um, don't, don't just try to stay in the confines of the temple. Worship him. Worship him with all your heart, and then let, him, let God use you as his mercy in this world. Amen? All right, let me, uh, let me pray and we'll worship together. Father God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for this opportunity. Lord, we want to be a river that brings a, a life of flourishing and transformation. And Lord, we know that's you. We know it's your spirit that does that. But we get to be part of it. And you want to flow through our hearts. I just pray that each person here would realize that God, like we are the temples that you reside in. You reside in our heart. It's not just some cold... Uh, religious thing. Lord, this is about a relationship with you. Would you help our church to become a bright, radiant blessing? In Jesus' name, amen.